Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter, where we pre-stream each episode on Twitter Spaces the day before publishing on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. And today we have with us Lloyd Moore. Lloyd is the CTO at Valence, bringing over 20 years of experience leading engineering teams and developing decentralized networks and blockchain technologies. His technical leadership expanded the Block Daemon engineering team from 10 to 200 engineers and led to a company valuation of three and a quarter billion dollars. Outside of work, Lloyd is an avid hobby mathematician who likes to keep fit in the gym, study history, read random books, and go deep in the odd conspiracy theories. I love that bit. Uh, Lloyd, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. I've actually been really uh, looking forward to this conversation, obviously wanting to hear what you're doing at Valence and your path up to that. But with respect to the research that I've done and everything that I've read and listened to, you are an extremely interesting, interesting is an entertainment person, but I'd like to hear more about, you have a sort of a previous life, previous military experience, uh, you're a professional rugby player, and then you move to tech and its infrastructure world, building engineering teams. Please tell us more about your road to Web3 and uh, merging your past to your current life. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit different, I guess. So I... Got my first computer back in 1983. Okay. <laughs> it was a Sinclair ZX81. Mm-hmm. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was an unwanted present of my auntie's who decided that I was nerdy enough that I might like it. And she was absolutely <laughs> right. So from the age of 13 to 18, I discovered through the, you know, learning how to program this thing, obviously computer languages, and then accidentally came across things like uh, set theory and things like that. So you were a programmer, like you were, you were starting to program. That, that's what got me into it. As a kid. Yeah. Okay. I thought that you were not the typical sort of blockchain web three enthusiast who did computer science as a kid. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was just, at, you know, just at home and then, and you know, all the people around me had no idea what, what the heck I was doing. <laughs> and then I was at a youth club and I came across a guy who'd been in this thing called the Royal Marines talked about you know commandos and Mm -hmm. doing all these crazy things and i just thought that sounded like a lot of fun so i did the nine months commando course and passed got my green beret and so from 1988 until 2000 computers went to one side and i discovered that i was a a very fast 100 meters runner started playing professional rugby um during that time and so i was one of those lucky people that because the military liked to promote people from within i was allowed to explore my rugby career um, inside and outside the military and then after doing several diff- several campaigns last one being Kosovo I decided that 
military wasn't for me and I left in 2000. And during my time in the military, I trained in the world of electronics and high frequency radio systems. And so I left and became a contractor within the kind of high frequency radio space, worked at Talis and accidentally got back into software embedded chips, things like that, sine and cosine programming tables and things like this. So I did that. And around 2002, a friend asked me if I could write a website. I had no idea about websites, discovered HTML and databases and bigger and badder systems. And over the course of the last, sorry, the next two decades plus, I became a leader of teams slightly bigger teams and, you know, worked in some really interesting places, uh, you know, from the world of adult to the world of gaming um, on some very, 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 very famous projects. Awesome. What would you say was your most, well, actually, I'll save that, I'll save that question for later, but immediately when, you know, when I hear about your previous experiences and then to where you are now and, and you'll shed some light on that in terms of valence, I know I hear, I think of game strategy, uh, discipline, diligence, perseverance. You mentioned Kosovo, even humility. You know, these are all, I think, key uh, or just really super important qualities to to change and build forward to what we're moving towards in terms of Web3. But please tell me about, so then what, what made you now go to Valence and to where you are now? Yeah, over the past, I'd say 10 to 12 years, I've realized that technology has a seismic effect on economies, on society in general. And as I became more aware, firstly through Bitcoin, but then through Ethereum and the rest of the space, it became increasingly obvious that this new way of doing things, distributed systems, removing the old guard, it became obvious to me that whatever the world looked like in the future, it was going to be in no small part changed because of this seismic shift in the way that technology works. And since then, I've worked very closely with data um, by design. I think as as the world evolves, data is going to be front and centre of everything that we do, you know, whether obvious or not. And that combination of being able to do things distributed, decentralised, with cryptography, that kind of holy trinity together is basically the way that we're going to do things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, over the past 10 years, at least the conversation for the layman has moved to who owns what data <laughs> and where. Indeed. So given that valence, uh, and as, as I understand, is first and foremost a data enablement company, and you are obviously an expert on data and its different infrastructure facets, it would be great to just set the stage further surrounding the concept of data management or, or just data in general. So as a, as a lay person on the subject, I imagine, so this involves, uh, like I just said, data ownership, data usage, data exchange, data accessibility, verification, storage, etc. If you could maybe set, set the tone there, and then um, it would be great to talk about where blockchain comes in, and then we can move on to valence. Okay. So, you know, when we think of data, depending on the lens that you use, some people think of databases and people that have been in this space remember things like Oracle and some of the offerings from IBM. But for the most part, data is basically information. It's this thing that allows us to know about something 
that's in a different place. It can be somebody's financial statements. It can be information about a person or an entity. And regardless of how we view data, most companies right now, if not all of them, are in some way, shape or form, really that their product is the data. And the reason why that's important is because there is a lot of data about entities, but especially people. And there's this realization that that data is not only useful, but data about yourself is not owned by yourself, but owned by somebody else who, you know, for the most part is making money from that data, either directly or indirectly. But looking at this with a moralistic lens, there is the question of whether that is even right, whether that's moral, and shouldn't people at least have the opportunity to own their own data? And Absolutely. Yeah, and so Web3 is really important because... I use the term Web3 because it's how people identify with the, you know, the, the things that we're talking about. Right. But it's really this combination of using cryptography, being able to do things in a distributed manner and push the agenda of ownership. It's these three things that come into play that, that are really at the heart of Web3. And over time, I think as more people are educated and understand just how important data is and sovereignty and and privacy for, for that matter, I think that these will be the, the forces that change the way we operate and, and look at the information that's out there about us. So where does valence come in in this picture? So valence is, is driven by you know the vision that our CEO, Adam Helfcott, has, who understood very early on you know, a, a lot of the the themes that we're discussing here, um, the way data is going to be more important, um, the monetization side of things, but also data ownership. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we provide the tools and the platform to allow entities to be able to make data available and enable the sharing of that data in a way that doesn't break things like privacy or compliance and therefore provides brand new opportunities for people that are entities that can use that data to do some really interesting things. You know, if you think about how expensive it is to, to make a drug, you know, think about, you know, back in the day before things like paracetamol or aspirin were were invented, Mm -hmm. you could never have imagined that you could, you could then make a drug for a particular, one particular person or one particular group. But through the enablement of data in, in these ways, that then becomes possible. So imagine that, you can have a drug made just for you, for your particular, you know, because because of your blood work or because of something in your genome. Data enablement, as boring as it sounds, actually will allow things like that to happen, which will be life-changing, literally, for a lot of people, if not more. And that's what we're about. Um, yeah, so as, as far as I understand, also, how long have you been uh, with Valence now? So I've been with Valence in its current format since end of February, March, beginning of March. Mm-hmm. But I've I've worked with elements of the company before this particular project. I worked with Adam Helfgott, the the CRO, for example. I see. Yeah, because uh, also this was one of the things that we we talked about right before uh, starting the this the, the podcast. You actually Valence is going through a rebranding process. Also, when I was I was doing the research a couple months ago, it's it's it was fairly different on trying to find information. Indeed. <laughs> so I couldn't understand I could understand what Valence did. But without without going back there, 
what was uh, the motivation to or, or reasoning for the rebranding? I'm assuming that also you had, uh, with your addition to the team, uh, you probably had something to do with that? Indeed. If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> no, no, that's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. Uh, you know, as with many startups, a lot of people see the end result, if you like. So when a startup makes, you know, version one and makes it known to the world, what people don't realize is, there's a journey towards that point where there's been a lot of changes, um, some pivoting, mm -hmm. a lot of discovery in at least the successful uh, startups. We are no different. Over the past few years, Valence has started out with this vision of what is possible and through different iterations and points of discovery, reduce that problem space or rather the way that we approach those problems to a more myopic set of things where we now are very much closer to the original kind of vision and we have a, a strong strategic path towards that. And that's where we're at today. So I would view the changes as more a reduction in the space that we that we are looking at as opposed to a complete pivot, almost kind of filtering out things that became noise so that it then got to a point where we realized that we were so so much we were much more closer to the original vision and therefore we needed to rebrand. And as a CTO, what exactly is your role in achieving this? It's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> There's the official one and the unofficial one. <laughs> Feel free to go wherever you want. Okay. So wherever you can. No, no, that's fine. So, you know, with my, with my understanding and, and experience of how technology works, the things that it can enable you to do, the art of the possible, so to speak, coupled with the ability to bring together really strong, talented, often very opinionated engineers. Um, using that combination of skills and experience, it's my job to rally and build a team together that can execute on the on the vision of the CEO. And it's also my job to collaborate with the other areas through uh, whether you know marketing, sales, product, to make sure that there's strong alignment with that original vision. To make sure that you know we can execute on what we need to do. Um, be able to react to different changes in the market. Um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've established data enablement. Um, we're talking sort of a big picture now. It would be great to sort of dissect it a little bit more. So to concretely understand, so what exactly, what exactly is is valence actually in terms of maybe some concrete examples or if you, if you're at, at that stage yet okay um, I know you you gave the example of 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 the pills but just just concretely like wh what are we talking about so what we're talking about is a problem space where a lot of companies unknowingly have massive repositories of data that if they were made available to somebody else let's say a small research company, there could be life-changing consequences for the, for the better. Mm -hmm. So, for example, imagine that I'm a, a university or I, I'm the NHS or, you know, some large body that has lots of interesting data that for me as a company, it's not very interesting for me to kind of deep dive into that data in the same vein as a da data scientist would at, lar at a large scale because it's expensive. But now if I'm able to make that data available and enable somebody that w wouldn't normally have access to that data to be able to deep dive into that. And not just that one set of data, but some other disparate sets of data around the world. 
what you can now do is you can enable somebody that otherwise wouldn't be able to use that data for for their own research and therefore discovery to essentially do that. And so what we're about is using the latest developments in in, in cryptography, um, which has a massive overlap with the Web3 space, coupled with more traditional ways of handling data through data engineering and data science, bringing all those facets together to enable data to be used to do things that you couldn't ordinarily do in reality. So when I hear data and uh, this sharing of data, how do you discern from good data versus bad data? And what is good data and bad data? Like who decides that? That's a great question. I think it, so there's there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, So good data, you could say, is data that can be validated. You could also say that it's data that is as close to pure signal than noisy. So for example, if I've got data about somebody's um, heart rate, you know, they've jumped on the peloton and and I can discern that, you know, the data is good because it's accurate. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, and then also from a, from a business point of view, I could say the data is good because it's efficient in in the sense that it doesn't have a lot of duplication, for example, or there aren't any missing data points. So so depending on the context and the user of the data, there's some different definitions of what's good and bad. I'd say on the business side, good data could be via efficacy, data that enables somebody to make money, or in in, in a research lab, good data could be data that's accurate, that enables somebody to make a drug. Yeah. In terms of the pharmaceutical data, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking, of course, there's data that's factual and you you measure certain things or whatever you, you're talking about, heart rate. But I feel like in, in, in today's world, and this, this is getting philosophical, I definitely want to get to the tech stuff. But again, you know, who's... Who's operating with certain or, or for what purpose for the data? I think I think what we've learned in the past or even with or even with the with the onset of the epidemic or even previously, you know, again, what what data, what's true, what's not true. We don't even know what to believe anymore. I mean, this is this is now getting into all different facets because <laughs> people are just not trusting of of a lot of data sources now. One hundred percent. So this is something that that's. That's part of our ecosystem. Okay. So this, so as AI evolves, what you're going to find is this problem with fake data. Mm-hmm. So think about the example of a newsroom that makes an article, mm-hmm. and then because of the proliferation of of the you know the internet you know into everybody's homes, it's very easy for someone to literally copy and paste that article, publish it as a a new blog article and say it's theirs. And also things like publications, it's very easy for an AI component to produce an article that looks absolutely real and then is out there. And then before you know it, you've got a a whole network of people indirectly using the article as if it was true. So one of the things that we we have to take care of uh, within Valence is how do we validate data? And so to do that, what we what we do is once we acquire or get access to data, we first meet, need to make sure that it's valid. And there's different ways uh, we can do that. 
And if I may interject, yep. how are what are those different ways? I mean, are we, are we talking about the ZK proofs? Are we talking about, or that's the next step? So even before that, you need to validate the person that's presenting the data as well. Of course. So we have the more traditional approach where, so as you know, as we roll out the valence platform, first we will work out, okay, we're only going to use particular entities who are trusted, who we who we can do the more kind of traditional process of KYB, KYC. And so at least at that point, there's a level of trust that's, that, that's more than acceptable. And so now when these entities are onboarding data, we can at least validate at that starting point that it was theirs to bring on board to begin with. Mm-hmm. As the platform scales, there'll be other interesting ways where we can use a more trustless format to validate that the person that's bringing that data is doing that in a, in a valid and trusted way. And already there's other platforms that do this. So for example, there's the Kive um, network that actually uses validators in the same way that you would use validators for proof of stake. So mm-hmm. you have what's called an uploader. So a, a validator is chosen as an uploader. The, the data is presented. That particular node validates that that data is correct. And then other members of the quorum will do the same. And then only once it's validated by at least 51%, it's then put on different levels that sit on top of the IPFS protocol. And, you know, um, so we are doing something similar similar to that in the background and in some cases using IPFS. So the the moment that you actually onboard the data as soon as, po- as close to that point as possible, if you can validate that data and validate ownership, you can then use... Web3 components like blockchain to validate at that particular point that that data was onboarded, that it was created, that it was valid. And you now have an indelible record that people can trust rather than an entity because this is technology that's providing the trust rather than a particular person. Yes. So that's where the the magic of blockchain comes in. Absolutely. And back to the validators, who are the validators or how are these validators chosen and what about the centralization versus decentralization factor of the validators yeah so so one problem we do have uh at the moment Mm -hmm. and you know we are a startup is in the same way that in other spaces things like sequences they are still highly centralized Mm -hmm. but you know but this is something we're working on and it's a problem of scale how do you take something um that's heavily computational and do that in a distributed manner, in a timely fashion as well. Um, so yeah, you know, it's 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 something that is a problem, not uniquely to us, but to other people in the space. Um, but we're making great strides in the same way that you know zk proofs have made great strides, where they're now at a, at a point where you know we thought it was going to take you know five to ten years, mm-hmm. and you know things like the zk EVM um, that wasn't supposed to be ready yet. And it's out there now, being used in production for various things. So, and we, and in the same vein, we're you know we're hopeful that we will do the same with the particular scaling issues that we have right now. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind me picking at this a little further, I read in one of your posts where you say, "quote We are utilizing some incredibly sophisticated cryptographic techniques to facilitate secure data sharing across borders. The possibilities where data is responsibly centralized yet decentralized." are endless. Yeah. And you're saying that Valence is having this in, in thought. So how does, well, I don't know in terms of what stage you're, you're in, but um, when you say decentralized or endless, 
what are these possibilities and how does valence try to build i know you're not there yet and you're you're it's the scaling issue but or at least how you're trying to build according to the decentralization principles yep. you know we're talking about permissionless transparent etc where where are you in that process so we are there quote unquote um mm -hmm. but not at massive scale and mm -hmm. you know we've got a dedicated um team of scientists that that led by matt barlin that are working on this particular problem and i'm happy to say making good progress um so this combination of centralization and decentralization there are cases where you have something let's say something that's heavily computational that needs to be done in a centralized manner so let's for example say there's a one particular computer that can that is the only computer that can do this heavy heavily computational thing and so with zk what you can do is you can produce these these things called circuits that that change depending on the, on the data that's input to them and so this data goes through this verifiable process of making this proof now what you can do is so that's the centralized part on the decentralized part you can have things that are, that from a computational point of view um a very low level could be somebody's phone for example in comparison Mm -hmm. And so in a decentralized manner, what you can have is not just a few, but thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of phones or the or something that's low level computational to be able to verify these proofs. And so the, the proofs are very, very difficult to, to, to make in the first place, but they're very easy to verify. Mm -hmm. And so you can centralize the, the production of these proofs and you can decentralize the verification of these things. Mm-hmm. In another one of your posts, you mention that valence technology will help break down data silos and unlock the power of multimodal data networks. Indeed. So first, by we can talk about what do you mean by data silos? And second, how is valence going about doing this? So imagine that you've got a company that has some very valuable data that they would love to share. Mm-hmm. But for compliance reasons or regulatory reasons, they're unable to do that. And now imagine that you have this kind of technolo technology level, if you like, that as the data passes through, you can verify that the, the data coming on, out on the other side is, is, is still valid data. But perhaps you can use cryptographical techniques and ZK to be able to say, okay, the data that you're looking at It's not exactly the same as the data that, that came in, but we can mathematically prove that it's still valid data. A very simple example could be changing the names and addresses, okay? Mm -hmm. The use cases we're talking about are not quite so simple, but this is basically like the idea. Um, now, in rather than just randomly changing names, there's also extra information that says, okay, even though I've changed this name to John Smith, I can verify that John Smith is actually a real patient or a real user. And here's a here's a proof that's been made with a very, very heavily computational machine that you can very, very easily verify. Okay, yeah. And so, uh, and so the person sharing that data, the company or the entity, hasn't broken any rules. And yet on the other side, you've got data that's just as useful as the unchanged format, but in a way that doesn't doesn't share anything directly and therefore doesn't break any compliance or regulatory conventions. Mm -hmm. 
And this actually leads to, okay, you just gave the example with the name, but this sort of transcribes to digital identity also, well, just, just in terms of what I'm, um, what's coming up in my mind. So in terms of digital identity, we, we know it's a prominent topic and many companies are trying to hop on board. And again, again, we have this true privacy problem going on. Where do you think, or actually, where do you think uh, digital identity, identity will stand in the future? And I guess with what Valence is trying to do and identity verification. I mean, these are all different kinds of, it's, it's very abstract. I'm <laughs> trying to do a good job or, or somehow trying to paint it so that, you know, the, the lay person uh, in the audience can understand what we're talking about. Okay. Where it is now, where do we see it? And how did all these different, I'm not going to say thoughts, but how do these different components interplay with each other? Yeah, so DIDs or digital identifiers are a core component of what we do as well at Valence. Right. And I see DIDs becoming more and more important to the point where they will be the de facto standard for people and or entities to identify themselves in a way that gives them sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So for example, so right now, if I want to, you know, if I want to get on a plane, at least, you know, to fly somewhere outside of the UK where I am now, I need a passport. But that passport has been issued to me through a government agency. If we fast forward to um, a possible future, an arguably better one, instead of a passport, I can use a version of a DID to prove that I am who I say I am using a format and technology that a government agency cannot take away from me. And if you if you think about that particular example, passports are only a recent thing in the past, I, w- I want to say 120 years, not much more than that. And and so it, it's not a, a natural thing to have to go to a government agency to effectively get permission to, to fly wherever, the, wherever you would like. So that's just one example. And I think what will happen is we will have, we will each have the ability to create as many of these things as we want, right? So for example, if I if I have a WhatsApp account, or not that I have, but a Facebook account, Meta, etc., they're effectively different representations of me as a as an entity, right? So you can you you could have as many of these things as you wanted, and they would all resolve to your digital self, and and then you can also apply this to the concept of you know when somebody goes to university and gets a, a degree, and you know a certificate is issued. And then indelibly, that's that ownership is recorded on a you know on some sort of graph network represented as a you know using blockchain technology. And now, let's say for political reasons or some other nefarious reasons, somebody tried to persuade the university to take away that degree. Well, now you can't do that. So I see the future involving things like DIDs. And, you know, we can also talk about things like, you know, verifiable credentials and presentations, which are all, you know, part of that same ecosystem. But I I think that we will just naturally evolve to that as more and more people discover that there's a better way to do things like represent myself in a digital format. When you when you talk to, you know, all these concepts that we're talking about, when you talk to, I don't know, let's say potential investors or potential clients or, or what 
whatnot, maybe, well, you're not maybe at that stage yet, but do you find that there is an understanding of this or is there a lack of understanding and we need, there has to be more to be done on um, the education front on even trying to understand these concepts? It's a good question. There's always an element of education especially when you're doing something that's brand new mm-hmm. or you know effectively brand new to to the masses what we do find when we're having different conversations at different different levels is that the better smarter investors the ones that are more plugged into different ecosystems they just get it mm-hmm. you know th- there are different conversations with you know other entities where based on traditional ways of thinking they don't quite see where a particular idea would would work but what we have noticed or at least myself over the past five years in fact is that in this particular space people are very quickly becoming very educated Mm -hmm. and i and i think in the next you know two to three years that level of education i think we've already gone past a particular tipping point and i think that very quickly it's it's going to be more common knowledge than people would dare to think yeah i mean i think a lot of these concepts are are going light speed um i mean there's just so many different projects with different versions or or different ways of of um doing things and it's almost hard to keep track <laughs> of everything yeah so i'm always just I'm finding fascinating you know sort of where are we i mean obviously not at the full adoption curve but that um there there is recognition that there is a need and that there are entities that are that are keen on on jumping on on the bandwagon Let's talk, uh, well, actually, my just to sort of digress a little bit, well, not digress, but just uh, a few, taking a few steps back, is which blockchains does Valence support or is building on? We are building on Polygon CDK Okay. for a lot of different reasons. Um, recently, Polygon, uh, well, they've got several partners in different areas, but um, notably Immutable mm-hmm. and it's interesting because Polygon, and you know, I'm going to dare to admit that you know I didn't laugh at Polygon, but when they first came out, I was one of the kind of sneering crowd, if you like. <laughs> and I think that you know, with their kind of strong business capabilities, coupled with some super smart guys, mm-hmm. um, Sandeep for one, I think they're now in a place where they they fully embraced zk, where, where other people were using things like optimistic rollups. They were straight in on ZK rollups. They knew that eventually that's where we need to get to. They've now got, you know, their infamous ZK EVM and a bunch of other tools. The, the CDK ecosystem is tremendous. And we, we figured that our first version of our own blockchain, which was AliceNet, was born at a time where a lot of different things, a lot of different features that we wanted weren't readily available in the market. Mm-hmm. And very quickly in two to three years, that changed. And so... You know, this year we make, we took the decision to redo uh, to do version two of AliceNet on the top of Polygon, just because from an auditable and maturity point of view, it made sense to use these base components that were that were battle tested by you know hundreds of thousands of people um, to do V two of AliceNet. Um, is is everything that um, it, or is is the work that Valence is doing in terms of the solutions and. Uh uh, the coding, etc., is that accessible to anyone? So, is it open, open code? Um, AliceNet is open, yeah. AliceNet okay. is, yeah. Okay, so oh, AliceNet. Okay, yeah. When when was AliceNet deployed? Uh, I think it was about uh, originally. I mean, how? Yeah, I, I, I want to say two and a half years ago, the first version. But um, I'd have to get back to you on that one. Okay. No, I mean, it just just in general, yeah. I mean, it, everything happens so fast that um. Yeah. 
oh my gosh, so fast. What do you what did you see as like a in terms of when when adapting to Polygon? Did you encounter any major challenges? None whatsoever. I, and I think that's testament to the, the maturity of the Web3 ecosystem. I think if you'd asked the, the same question five years ago, the, the answer would have been much more negative. I think now with the proliferation of ZK and, and even things like there's a marketplace for, for ZK proofs called, I want to say equal nil. Mm-hmm. So we're at a place now where there's a marketplace for, for zero knowledge proofs. The maturity is just incredible in such a short space of time and so yeah you know so far with polygon we've seen no issues Mm -hmm. there's always a trade-off as in any any sort of architecture that you're trying to bring to the fore but for the most part uh, polygon has been a great a great decision Uh, i say that with some bias (laughs) (laughs) as the original sneering uh person Absolutely. Uh, I just had a thought, but it, it escaped my mind. But just wanted to, to grasp, do you consider the competitive la- landscape res- with respect to the data enablement of Valence? And or, or in other words, is there anyone else doing what you're doing? In the way that we, in our approach, I don't know of anybody that's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's similar things within data curation, data enablement um, in a more traditional sense. But you know, without revealing too many things, um, I would say there isn't anybody out there mm-hmm. to our knowledge that's doing things in the same way and with the same approach. I mean, are you even thinking about it in a competitive landscape or are you approaching it into more of a complementary way of doing things so you're saying okay xyz is doing this um we're doing this you know with open source can you utilize someone else's work etc yeah so so i'll answer this in the you know from a personal viewpoint i think if you do something Mm -hmm. for the sake of the money at this scale you quite often can set, set yourself up to lose if you do something at this scale with the point of view of helping as many people on planet Earth as possible, the money you tends to follow. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of there's this kind of weird juxtaposition where we feel like we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. The irony being that we we think it's a really good business model too. That's a good answer, Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely concur with that. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you've partnered with some big names uh, such as Verizon. I'm, I'm just always wanting to get my head into the actual use case. How does Verizon use Valence? So actually, you know, when we spoke earlier about fake data, mm-hmm. Verizon will publish an article. They use our system to attest that they published the article. And so now forevermore, if somebody was to try and do a fake article or, or take their article, change a couple of names, maybe change a couple of dates or maybe a couple of numbers, mm-hmm. they could always attest that actually... That's not our original article, but if you check the system that we use at Valence, we can prove that the original article looked like this. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to fake a complete blockchain. Mm-hmm. Back to, you, you mentioned even AI. To what extent are you looking into using AI at this point, if at all? Uh, definitely. It's, I think, before people realize it's going to be a necessity. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already gone past the stage where we use AI as a buzzword, as a selling point. Mm-hmm. And I think if people are not using AI in their businesses right now, over the next two to three years, 
they most certainly will be forced to, um, if not. We are definitely using AI, and it's a big part of what we do in, in, in a couple of different ways. So from a, from a discovery and from an um, intelligence gathering point of view, we use AI, uh, more specifically LLMs, for example, ChatGPT, Google Bard, Claude AI, now Claude Pro, as almost like a, a compressed view of the world, you know, and you ask, mm-hmm. you, you send a prompt and you get an answer. But there's some other interesting ways that you can use this technology. And so we, we're using this technology in our systems and as part of our offering as well. When you, when you talk about being able to, for example, discover, you know, look at a, a lot of genome data and, you know, discover new drugs, AI is certainly a big part of that. But what we're but what we are doing is we're providing the tools for these different verticals, medical being one, to use AI as part of the offering and more to be able to do what it, what it is that they need to do. And then also from a from an internal systems point of view, we will start to more and more use AI to do things like analyze network packets, um, you know, for things that are quite boring. But you know, a, a piece of AI would would do um, in a fraction of the time. So internally to help us be more efficient and externally as part of our kind of product offering to make our systems much more intelligent. In terms of in terms of the products offering, well, actually you've, you've alluded now several times to sort of the healthcare industry um, and you mentioned the medical vertical. Can you talk more about that? So is that is that one of the industries that you're sort of target well not targeting i guess but like gearing towards or do you have a specific industries in mind or is it sort of interoperable with any kind of industry yeah so it's certainly interoperable with any type of industry but if you look at some of the some of the more difficult problems like you know personalized healthcare mm-hmm. it's something that we, we you know we like to think about and and, and share with people just to express that the sheer power of the platform itself, you know, the, the, the minute that, you know, so you just taking that example, it's something that, that a lot of people will resonate with. Imagine that you can go to a, you know, a computer screen or a system and by the end of the day have access to, you know, personalized therapy or a drug that's just for you. That's super powerful. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, very much especially in, well, given given the, not sure what the situation right now in the UK is, but I mean, this is now uh, going into uh, what's going on in terms of um, healthcare systems, but <laughs> a lot of countries, they're crumbling, yeah. especially in Europe. And this is actually an interesting phenomenon that you're, that you're, that you're mentioning. Uh, I actually hosted, are you familiar with self-care? No. No. Okay. They are also using a, um, or sort of, trying to connect just medical advisors and doctors with with just people all throughout the world so having having medical intervention accessible to everyone globally so i just i just find it fascinating how we're actually you're you're actually talking about real problems and these are definitely more important problems 100% i mean so take that you know take the example of self care yeah imagine now you could replace the doctors with a system that talks to data. Yeah, I don't know. Some people may not like that. <laughs> you know, you still think you want to talk to a doctor because you think you have the white coat <laughs> phenomenon going on and you trust them. Uh, but yeah, I, I I, may be 
a little bit behind in, in terms of the thought process, but you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a very powerful, it's a very, very powerful tool or solution. Also, to think about how Google has changed the way people approach even just general healthcare. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a doctor myself, although I have spoke to a few who told me that people go into the surgery and challenge their opinions because they've been on Google and they've read something else, right? That's because they Googled. Yeah. That's unprecedented mm-hmm. in history. Well, a lot of us moms today are called Google doctors <laughs> when we go and which which is again, this is the dynamic between someone who's got the certification, went to, you know, medical school, etc. versus someone who's I don't know, seeing it firsthand what's happening at home with a certain kind of a disease or whatever. Yeah, well, it, it could be it could be positive, it can be negative, but it's the 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 key component here. I think it's also the validation, which is what we've talked about. Indeed, indeed. Well, Lloyd, I, there's just there's just so many different components here. I mean, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but in the end, we are talking about data enablement, right? I, f- I feel like I keep going back to this because. It, it is uh, sort of where the, the core of what um, Valence is, is trying to do, as, as far as I understand. Yeah. And building, trying to build these transformative solutions and how, well, actually, these are, these are I'm actually borrowing your words uh, from your webpage and in, in how organizations access, govern, and leverage data. But before doing that, I think it's it's very important, like we said, how to discern good data from bad data, and this is very simple talk. There, there's just a lot of distrust now in, in the world. 100%. That's why it's important for people to have sovereignty, uh, sorry, so- sovereignty over their data. Sovereignty. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, some, so one of the things we're doing as well is, and, and again, this is, this is super important, moving towards a system where people have fine-grained permissions over the data that they can share. So imagine, if you will, there's a company that has a lot of aggregated data, but also imagine a system whereby mm-hmm. there's this almost like this kind of automated marketplace where, you know, somebody wanting to access that data goes through valence. And at the same time, people that own these, you know, these bits of information that make up that whole data set are able to turn off and on permissions at will. So, for example, somebody might say, do you know what, today I turned, I became a vegetarian, and actually part of my belief system urges me to not allow you to share my data with an entity that tests on animals, for example. Imagine being able to, just on your phone, make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so now, as these different systems are talking to each other, your data is excluded every time an entity is asking automatically for a data set that has your data in there. And it might even be that there's certain aspects of your data that you would, would like to share with everyone, but other bits with, with nobody. Mm. So fine-grained permissions is something that we, we are more than interested in and have started to develop things at scale to solve that very problem as well. I mean, exactly what you're talking about, this can be applied to so many different... Oh, so many. So many different levels and so many different frontiers. It's like... uh, 100%. Once you kind of get it, it's like uh, the world is your oyster. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's why we, we, you know, it's very difficult to explain a concept without giving concrete examples. And so, you know, we spoke about the healthcare example. Yes. And yet, as you've said, 
correctly, this is so applicable to so many different things. You know, we could sit here and talk about all the different ways and come up with, you know, verticals that, that you could build a company on top of this platform. Yes. And as you are, well, as you are um, achieving and getting to your milestones, hopefully this can be another conversation for, for, for a later time. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just curious. So, I'm sure the roadmap is packed. Um, you're probably stressed out <laughs> with everything. That, <laughs> All the time. I mean, it, it, this is like, you know, it's it's kind of a big baby to have. So what's what's next for, because we're talking about a valence ecosystem with everything that we've talked about. What's next in your roadmap? And again, this is kind of, I'm sure everybody asks this, and I don't know if you're, you're probably sick and tired <laughs> of that question, but you have, you know, you have the immediate roadmap yep. and then you have... The sort of long-term roadmap, which in I guess we're we're talking about Web three is is not it's not like a ten-year horizon, but it's all like within the like the next year. Can you reveal anything? Yeah, because I I know that you're rebranding and a, a new website is 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 launching by year end, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, just sort of what's what can you share with us? So, uh, quite honestly, I'm I'm not really hiding anything. It's um, mm-hmm. so what we've got in internally is something. Is something that works end to end. There are a couple of features that are that are kind of like nice to have that we will add in Q2 and Q3. But essentially, what we're doing from here on in is taking what we've got working and scaling the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe today it could only serve you know a, an entity with let's say a marketplace of you know 200 entities, um, but we want to get to the, we want to get to world scale, and it's you know it's going to take a year or two to, to get there. Um, but we've got the right team to do that. Um, especially this, how big, sorry, how big is your team? So right now we're, we're about, so in engineering, we're about 14 people. Mm -hmm. We've, we've added in, in, in the past six months, as many, as many people. And we're looking to, you know, as, and when we need to, um, expand in different areas, we, we've got a, a hiring funnel, um, that will allow us to do just that at the right time. So, I don't want to say that I'm completely happy because nobody would believe me if they know me, but um, <laughs> I'm I'm fairly happy today. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, that's good to hear from from someone who has such a colorful background, <laughs> um, <laughs> going from military to to rugby to. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's a very it's very eclectic, but in in the end, I see it well in terms of your background that it's um, there. There's very applicable skills that transcend to to all of these different facets that you're involved in yeah the, i think that the, the common thread through all things that i've done have always involved somebody saying you won't be able to do it <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say i mean this sort of perseverance and resilience <laughs> absolutely so you you mentioned before okay so you're taking your team is taking what's working and scaling the heck out of it so what is working? So what is working is the ability to prove that data is valid. Okay, got it. In a cryptographical way. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to trust us, trust the mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, what is also working is our first version of fine-grained permissions. So automatically being able to turn on and off permissions to the requester or querier. And what else is working well, the, the science team is working really hard on taking things that they've got working already through the, uh, decentralized identifiers, verified, verifiable credentials and verifiable presentations and doing some very interesting things to 
scale what they've already done. Um, so already they've done some very interesting things, but we, we are just going to keep going and they're making great progress there. And then the other thing that's working is the ability to hook into somebody's you know data repository without having to move that data from where it sits. Um, and, you know, and this is super important for you know a bunch of different reasons, um, from fiscal to efficiency to compliance, um, and for that that agent, if you will, to be able to kind of phone home in a in a in a trustless way. Mm-hmm. So actually, as I'm as I'm telling you all these things, um, I'm actually a little bit happier than I was an hour ago because I realised we are we're doing quite well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, it's a uh, positive to having a conversation because it makes it when you when you actually say it, it makes it real. Indeed. Indeed. Um, just, just curious. So, I know you're you're a startup, and I know you're in a lot of in wraps with with certain things. But do you have, or can you talk about what entities are most interested in what what you're doing for their purpose, or have you have you even had these conversations? I would say that you know, if I was to share even one of them, um, I'd get in a lot of trouble. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll get told off. We'll leave that. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll leave that for, for, for another time when things are uh, not so under wraps. Okay. Appreciate it. Um, well, Lloyd, I mean, we've definitely covered a lot here. I'm just, j- just in terms of what we've talked about and my questioning, and, and I hope that I understood uh, up to a point where I could try to um, unpack uh, valence. Uh, to a degree for people to understand. Is there anything pertinent or there, is there anything to add that I have not asked that I'm, or I might have missed in this conversation? I think you've done a really, no, I think you've done a really good job of ex- exploring a lot of the different components that go, you know, towards making valence what it is. And obviously there's that slight dark cloak of not being able to reveal, mm-hmm. you know, certain yeah. people that we, you know, we're working with, but, but you know, which is standard at this stage. I think no, you've covered everything, and um, I would love to go into more depth about so many different things. You know, from fine grain permissions to, you know, optimizing things for zero knowledge proofs. But um, yeah, there's only so many hours in the day. Absolutely, and um, no, sure. I mean, as you achieve more milestones, I mean, we definitely love to have you back on another time. Oh, I'd love that to maybe reveal more and reflect more. And uh, I'm sure it's, uh, it's it, w- it would be a different story and a different conversation. 100%, yeah. Just one of, one of my last questions. What would you consider your biggest challenge and hurdle thus far with Valence? That is a great question. Or maybe not even with Valence. I mean, just in the last year or two. <laughs> I've got two answers to that. When I stepped away from Block Demon, I really felt that I needed to take a couple of years out. And so the biggest hurdle was admitting that I wasn't going to be able to do that. My mind is just not in that place. Mm-hmm. And then and then I guess that but an even bigger hurdle, not a hurdle but challenge and challenge accepted was to, you know, very quickly understand such a far reaching vision and at you know, and whilst catching up with, you know, our chief science officer and the rest of the team, you know, get to a point as quickly as possible and hire new people as well um brilliant people um get to a point where where we are now it's you know it's been challenge accepted um we've done even better than we thought we would in such a short space of time and so i'd say the biggest challenge would be um to keep that to keep that pace 
to keep that pace going. Um, it's it's been the biggest challenge, and uh, and it will remain so for the next couple of years. I'm sure, but just be wary of not getting burned out. <laughs> I think that's an important. Ah, oh, that, that ship that ship has sailed, man. <laughs> um, I'm 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 all charcoal. <laughs> charcoal. Oh. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been uh, it's been a heck of a ride. I mean, it's uh, I've actually I spent a lot of time trying to do some research on on, on you and and what you're doing and trying to understand uh, the concepts and um, just thank you for providing insight on what you're working on at Valence. Again, we've covered we've covered a quite an array of topics which can be abstract for the layperson, but I think we've uh, managed to bring it closer. What is the best way for for people to follow? Uh, your work and and or get in touch or ask questions and etc. I assume the usual Twitter and and yeah. So we you know we've got a Twitter account on oh, sorry not Twitter X X it, it is now Twitter <laughs> X X and yes you know we're, you know we're on LinkedIn as well under Get Valence mm-hmm. I'm on there as well Lloyd Moore and I'm on Twitter uh, under the moniker I O Lloyd I O double L O Y D I'm always happy to talk about anything and everything from philosophy to engineering hardware software not rugby though it um when i now talk about rugby my body hurts (laughs) (laughs) Uh, past life (laughs) yeah well great well thanks so much all the best with your upcoming milestones and uh would love to have you back uh at a later uh, at a later point to discuss uh everything everything uh valence no I'd, i'd happily come back great look forward to the invite Thanks so much, Lloyd. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again to our guests, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks also to the Barium Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on barriummusic.com. The episode supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. Our podcast is available on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, and Radio Public. You can follow us on Twitter at Recorded Podcast and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.